Welcome to the best show in the world. It's called Damn Mom Really, also known as the show that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. My name is Danae Reed and I'm going to be the host of this show for the next hour. So sit back and relax and listen to us laugh, cry, yell, curse, do whatever we got to do to get through the grief of losing our mamas. This beat that you're listening to was made by Scott Reed Jr. What's up, y'all? Welcome to the best podcast in the world. I'm your host, Danae, and this is Damn Mom, really the podcast that nobody wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. I have here with me my girl, Tahira, from the 1111 Foundation, the founder, and she is here in the building today to talk a little bit about her foundation and also about the experience of losing her mom. So I am super excited to have you on here to hear today. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited. Yes, I appreciate you being here yourself. And I know you do some similar work yourself regarding talking to people in general. So I'm super excited to have you here today because I love a person who loves to talk just as much as me. So tell us a little bit about the 1111 Foundation. Um, just real quick, it is a nonprofit helping kids turn pain into passion and passion into profits after the loss of a mother or father. Okay. I lost my mom at 22. So it was, and when I say 22, I was a 22 year old who lived with my mom. I literally was like still a kid. I had a job, I had my car, all that good stuff, but I wasn't nowhere near an adult until she passed away. And then my life took a complete 360. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, that 360, what happened after? How did you grow up in that moment? Oh, man. Oh, man. I was adopted. So I was the only child. And um, everything pretty much fell on me. Everything. She used to work at University of Penn for over 35 years. And... Every single thing that she had going on in her life all had to fall on me. And it was a complete, like, I was, like, blindsided by pretty much everything. And I didn't even know adults took care of the amount of things that they took care of until it all fell in my hands. And um, it was just very intense. I went into a very deep depression for, like, a good two years. And it was wild. It was a wild roller coaster that I never thought I was going to get off of. And then as I like allowed myself to become just not as out there because I played travel basketball. I was very into a lot of things. But when she passed, I had to just hone in to like actual things that mattered in life and just figure things out from there. I didn't have too much help uh, because I was adopted. So I didn't know too many people in my biological family at that time. Um, My mother who passed away she didn't want me to know too much about my past and where I came from but I kind of didn't let that get in my way of growing I knew I needed to find out where I was from and who was in my family and who was in my life so that I could continue to live my life because her passing I, I swore that was the end all be all and I'm like, wow, like I have this older family out here. I need to figure out who is out here and who is for me and who is against me. So after going through that depression phase, I took it upon myself to let all the distractions go, social media, friends, family. I kind of just went into like a little hermit crab and started getting mentors and certain people in my life to help guide me and stay on the most clear, straight path that I could so that I could learn who I really am and learn what really matters to me so that I could honestly like live this life. 
I didn't know life had all those surprises until I was faced in front of like all these challenges and stuff. And then I'm like, wow, this is real. Like, this is real life. I ain't got no one to really help me. I'm just sitting here, this little chocolate black girl figuring things out. And I'm I'm like, man, this is a lot. Can I just tell you that I lost my mom at 26 and I wasn't living with her, but I definitely was working for her. I was on her roster. I was like the fake version of like a Nepo baby because my mom (laughs) hired me and she paid me to work for her. And I promise she paid me a lot more than I deserved for the work she had me do. But I say all that to say, I definitely relate to this idea of not really having, and I've talked about this on previous episodes, but not necessarily having a sense of self outside of my mom or really realizing Mm. what it meant to be an adult like for me life Mm. felt easy life was jovial life was like oh yeah of course everything's gonna work out and now I'm in a space where I'm like oh damn is it I'm trying to figure that out myself because you know when you lose your mom who is so much of everything to you I think that it's really hard to pick up the pieces from that And I want to go back, though, a little bit, because I had no idea that you were adopted. And so I want to just kind of make the story more robust in that way and talk a little bit about your experience being adopted. So was that something that you were conscious or aware of growing up that you were adopted? Um, Honestly, no. The woman who adopted me, she was also adopted by a Polish family. They were Uh Polish and they were Mennonite. So I was raised by Caucasian grandparents. I had my Nana and Papa. They were Caucasian. And then my mom, she was half black and she was half white. And then they took me from somebody, um, I guess, just in the neighborhood. So it's like this whole generation of being with someone who was just a caretaker, which was really cool. But everyone was older. So I already knew people were going to pass away, but I didn't know Mm -hmm. when. And I didn't, I never thought that I was going to be by myself, by myself. I always had it in my mind, okay, I'm adopted. Like this family's not going to be here for long, but I didn't realize it was going to happen so early in my life. <laughs> I'm like, bro, come on. And yeah, so my adoption, um, I was adopted around like six years old. And okay. the moment that I seen my white grandfather and my white grandmother who were Mennonites and they were very Polish, I just knew, I'm like, yeah, this is not my real family, but listen, this is my real family now because, shoot, I'm this little girl. I don't really know, but I was very conscious of what was going on in my surroundings, and I knew that I was being taken care of differently than my peers, but they're doing everything that they can to make sure that I'm good in every way, shape, or form. But yeah, I honestly was raised with complete love in my house. I didn't see arguments. I didn't see, I didn't see no, like, crazy stuff I like I just never seen or had to hear or be a part of everything that had like came into my life right when my mom passed so I that's when like when she passed that day she passed I knew that life was going to be extremely difficult here on out because I never knew how much they really sheltered me from all Mm -hmm. the negative outside in the world so everything kind of like hit me at one time that day she passed. So it was like very intense. It was very intense. Yeah. And so the day that she passed or around the time that she passed, did that make you any more curious about your birth mother? It did. 
But I also had this, since I was like falling into this weird depression that I'd never experienced before, I started becoming so mad at people who I thought were supposed to be there for me, not even thinking about the things that they have been through and why they weren't there. Because as a mother, I'm a mother, I have a six-year-old and I'm pregnant as we speak. Oh, congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. I'm halfway there. I'm almost, I'm almost there. I just, I just know how a mother's love is for their child. And that day that I call her my mother, because that's just how mm-hmm. I know her. Yeah, that's, that's I'll what say she is, Megan. Like your mother. I'll oh. say Megan for people so they can follow the story along. After Megan passed away, I was so like upset at my biological mom, because I felt like she still should be around. It wasn't like it was a closed adoption. It wasn't like it was mm-hmm. anything. It was more so like this woman who was my biological mom, gave me to somebody because she had me at a young age and she never turned back to figure out if I was okay, if I was, shoot, if I was alive, like it didn't really matter. But then Mm -hmm. through the grapevine and through people in the community, they would always be like, your mom is looking for you or this and a third. And I'm like, this is so confusing. And I'm not prepared for this so I didn't even really know how to face how to face anything really to be honest I kind of just been experimenting and seeing like who I can talk to who I can't talk to if I can talk to her if I can't talk to her and it's been about 10 years now and maybe this year last year might be like the first time I'm like slowly having a relationship with my biological mom which is very crazy Have you ever taken a second to think about the grief that you have in relation to your biological mother and her absence? Back then, yes. Like, I used to be very upset about just being given to someone. I am the second oldest of seven kids, and I was the only one who was... I was like the only one who was given outside of the family. So I was given away to someone who was a complete stranger. And I always am just very curious as to why that happened to just me and also what was different at that moment. But if I ask her that question, she does not know how to answer. And it might bring up a lot of negative thoughts or whatever in her mind. So I kind of just leave it alone. But it's something that always is just on my mind. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for your vulnerabilities. Because it really is just such a, a loaded sort of kamikazen. It's you, you're dealing with yeah. grief from your biological mother. And then you're also dealing with the grief of losing the Megan, the woman who raised yeah. you. And it sounds like such a lovely woman. So on a lighter note, let's talk a little bit about her and how losing her might have influenced you to create the 1111 Foundation. So going through those hard times uh, right after she passed, taking on the mortgage, having to shut off a oh, lot wow. of bills. you were doing all that at 22 i was doing girl <laughs> i was doing everything like when i say the world came crashing down on me with the vultures trying to attack me with their beaks all that was all happening at one time and just the way that megan raised me i i already knew that i would be okay but i knew it was going to be a long road a long road to getting out of 
the situation I was put in, not by choice, but I guess just by nature, you know. As I was going through that, a couple years later, people would just, they knew what I was going through and people would start to send kids to me just to call me or they would come to my office. And I would have to sit down with people and cry back and forth. And then we're having conversations and I'm just letting people know some of the steps that I've been taking to survive my days, to be honest, because I was so young. And I said, you know what? I just need to start a nonprofit that helps kids directly with this fight that we're going through because I don't feel like I'm, I was 22 at the time and I knew Uh kids who were in their teens and they lost their moms or dads and then they didn't really have nobody. And I'm like, there's no way that this government is allowing all this to happen. I said, there has to be a nonprofit out there who truly just focuses on kids who go into the system because they're automatically orphaned or like there should be some type of structure. And there really isn't. (laughs) There really isn't. It's very, it's very upsetting because I know if I was younger and I got a little bit of money and this and the third, I wouldn't have been able to make no decisions because I wasn't 18. I wouldn't have been 18. So I know a lot of kids are being taken advantage of. And I don't think that that is right. So 1111 is just honestly a whole skillful based curriculum slash community who has kids in there and we just help them navigate through all the traumas of death and grief and just everything because it's a lot. Every day you wake up, it's something different. And it's like, come on. It's like we can't, them kids really don't know. And then as we're getting older, we are just navigating on how to survive every day. So that's really what 1111 is all about. That's so special. Um, you brought up several points that I hadn't even thought about, you know, the kids who do get an inheritance and are left by themselves and have to kind of figure it out, right? Like I was fortunate enough to have family who was able to get those things in order for me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I have a living parent. But there's things that are obviously in my blind spot because it's not my lived reality. And I mm-hmm. think it's really awesome that you're bringing those sort of things to light because I know that there's going to be people who listen to this episode and who are like, damn, I never thought about that. Or damn, how does that work? Or damn, this person's an only child. You know, there's just so many different things to even think about in that regard. What do you think has been the most rewarding thing for you having started this foundation? The most rewarding is honestly growing that connection with kids. Right when she passed, I lost that connection of being safe. One thing I've noticed that these kids always say is like, oh, Miss T, like you make me feel so good. Or I haven't laughed in a while. Like, thank you. So it's just that warm feeling of knowing like, okay, I can be some type of figure to these children because I know that they're missing exactly what I'm missing. And how do you deal with being that person for so many other people who are feeling the same as you? How do you show up for them and yourself? Through 1111, we have a thing called a grief checklist. And it's 11 steps that I tell people to follow because every day is unpredictable. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what's about to happen when you wake up. But it's always something that happens and you're like, man, if I could just get out of this mindset. So this checklist, the list honestly helps me stay on track because a lot of different emotions pop up when different people talk to me about their situations. And it's, I always like am relating 
back to something I did with my mom. So I kind of just always refer back to that checklist so that I I don't do too much and I don't take on too much because I can go so deep with a child and I'm like, oh, wait, 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 I'm way too deep in, you know what I mean? And I have to like back up a little bit because it's not like I have a degree in being a therapist or a psychiatrist or anything like that. I just have an experience that I've been through and I know that some of the steps that I've been taking actually helps and it's helped other people. So I, I try to stay in like this neutral area when I'm talking to somebody so I don't get so upset and they don't yeah. get so upset. And we kind of just are on this like vibing level. It's it's very intense because you don't think about conversations that two people would have who have dealt with a death because a lot of people yeah. don't talk about it. So when you're talking to kids, it's like you're kind of numb, but you're you're all in because they're yeah. not ready for that conversation, but they need it needs to be had. So it's just like breaking like little barriers with them and. I just I just go with the flow because at the end of the day, a child who can connect with you, they're going to tell you stuff that they never told someone else before. So just being that stepping stone for kids is what I try to do. And I just stay neutral because things can get crazy. You start hearing things and you know what I mean? Say I was working like in the government, I would have to report some things kids say, but I, I don't because, you know, I don't. I don't really know how these children's lives are, but I'm just there to be like a healing source for them, to be honest. And I could only imagine putting myself in the position to receive such heavy information and also having to be cognizant and guarded in that space because you do have to kind of tend to children in a different way and even yourself in those moments. But speaking of children, let's talk about being a mama. So you have a six-year-old. And if I do the math correctly, it seems that your mom had transitioned, Megan had transitioned about four years before you got pregnant or had her. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Look at me doing math. I mean, it's 10 (laughs) minus six. It wasn't the most difficult thing but what was it like for you to become a mom in the midst of the first couple years of your grief and not having your mom man that probably was the best thing the lord could have granted me hands really? down my son most definitely saved my life a hundred percent there's been so many wow. times where i sat there and i thought about committing suicide because it was just so much on me and i did not have the help that i swore i was going to have so honestly like my son is he's very he's very hyper but he is the exact amount of hyper that I need to be focused on just us you know what I mean yeah that's so special and and your next little one on the way do you find that the pregnancy is the same since you are a little bit more removed from the loss of your mom or is it a little bit different like what are you feeling this time around this time around since my relationship with my partners is much healthier (laughs) I appreciate this pregnancy and I'm super excited for it and I know it's gonna level me up even more just as a human being with my consciousness and all that so I'm really excited for it and oh it's just crazy that I'm having another child and my son is six so it's a lot to take in but it's actually very exciting and it's very different than my last pregnancy it's a complete 360 it's totally different yeah I mean you're also just in a completely different mental space I'm sure um, yes as it regards to like loss and just life in general 
was it hard for you to conceptualize or understand how to be a mother because your mom had passed before you had a baby yourself? That's a really good question. It was hard for me to do the everyday things with my son growing up because I had him at 25. But the mental part was so easy because of all the stuff that Megan instilled instilled into me. So it wasn't that difficult. It was just difficult understanding what parents were supposed to do for kids because, you know, you have to do certain things, especially when they get into school and paperwork and doctor's appointments and all that stuff. That was the most difficult versus helping train my son's brain to be a certain way. That wasn't as difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I'm just asking that for my own personal reference because I think about that all the time. Like, how am I going to be a good mom if, like, the best mom in the world isn't here to teach me? So, yeah, that's that's kind of for my own personal. But it sounds like you're doing a great job, and it sounds like – you know, you have a lot of healthy love in your life and and all that great stuff. And I'm really sorry that in light of losing your mom, you really had to take on so much. And I definitely can understand this whole idea of suicidal ideation and how hard it might have been for you. You know, I'm living it myself to push through day to day. I want to talk a little bit more about that, this idea of pushing through and pushing forward like how did you do that because I'm just hearing your story it's so you sound so triumphant because I don't know if I could have dealt with all that you dealt with in light of losing your mom so can you talk to us a little bit about that process between then and when you finally started to get it or when things started to make sense or when you finally started to feel you know I don't want to say better but I don't know I I don't know I've, I've yet to find a better word for better but Right. Um, honestly, it was like three years into the passing of Megan when I started to like the depression got really bad. And I'm like, I know I don't want to take no medicine to get over this experience that my body is going through, but I need to figure out what is missing. And that's when I started having like this very intense relationship with God. And it's mostly because I allowed myself to detach from people and I detached from social media. I detached from like some of the groups that I was going to because they weren't really feeding my soul no more. And I didn't realize that until I kept getting deeper into a depression. And I'm like, there's no way like that I'm about to kill myself. That really was like, that shook me. Because I never thought that I would get to a point in my life where I didn't want to be alive. Yeah. I grew up in the church. So I was like, there got to be something. And then when I started just praying more and writing, self-journaling and talking to individuals who they might not have lost somebody, but they have maybe fell into an addiction and they were recovering or something that they had to go through that was very traumatic. That's when I'm like, yeah, so the Lord is my only answer and God is within me as well. So I need to figure out this journey with the Lord and continue to talk to him versus talking to all these other people who I don't really know. At least I know he knows what I'm going through. So I really, really, really just had to be in a quiet space like all the time. It was a lot of being mute, just being on mute and just being still. And just understanding my own thoughts. Because it was so many people telling me so many different things. And um, 
I was like, yo, this is, I said, there's no way, there's no way this is how it's about to be. So yeah, that connection with the Lord was like, mm. it was, it was connecting with the Lord and then my son came. So it was like a double whammy. Yeah. yeah and it, he was like, well, I'm about to give you a challenge <laughs> that you need to focus on mm-hmm. that's more important than you not being alive. So it kind of like all came together and then the craziest part is that my son's birthday is six six seventeen and my mm-hmm. Megan's birthday was six nine. So literally oh. the birthdays were like right apart from each other and I'm like, oh yeah, this is definitely a sign. Like I just need to get myself together and not worry about nobody yeah. else besides me and my child. And you know it's crazy because I've said multiple times, like I think the next time I'll feel a sense of purpose is when I have a kid myself because mm. I'm in a space right now, my period or PMS definitely like aggrandizes any like, suicidal ideation I might have or mm-hmm. just this like desire to not be here. Like last night I was having a really hard night and I was like, I like to work out on my roof at nighttime, which sounds probably a little bit ominous, but it's because I live in New York and it's quiet. Y'all don't got to worry about me in that regard. But sometimes I really do like to go up there and just I'll be able to cry and scream and it's just very private and it helps me a lot but yesterday I fell into this space of just like damn I really don't want to be here like mm. and I'm so tired of feeling that way like I and like I said you know I after my period is is done and all all said and done I'm pretty much back to normal and I think like I focus on other things like I don't have a physical child but my podcast is kind of you know, taking the space of that um, (laughs) to an extent. But I definitely have felt those feelings. And it's just like, for me, I'm so tired of feeling that way. Like, it's like, I'm literally asking God, like, to bump me up on the list. And like, I, I feel like I try to kind of like reserve those thoughts for people who I'm, I'm really close with. But I think like, I'm at a space where I just like have to be honest about that feeling and like the realness of it, especially if I'm in a space with you who's being so honest about that feeling. And I just, I mean, it's nice knowing that one day I hopefully won't feel that way anymore, but it just feels so far in the distance. Yes. Girl, I completely understand because I used to tell myself like, okay, when the fuck is this going to be over like this is a lot and it's not like you can talk to people about it because they really they really look at us like we have six thousand heads and I'm like Mm -hmm. I'm really going through this this ain't nothing fake like I'm not faking nothing like I'm like asking people what am I supposed to do when they're looking at me like I don't know I've never been through it I'm like I don't know God, it is it is a very isolating and lonely thing. And I think that just makes the grief feel 10 times worse because it's like, bro, am I crazy? Like, why is nobody talking about grief or why is nobody talking about like death and transition and like even life? Like, why are we not having conversations? And it's like the way that you start to think in as a result of trauma or grief or depression is what I feel like tends to be more aligned to what actually is, you know, it's like, for example, losing my mom has made me be like, very okay with death and dying. Mm -hmm. Right. And for me, that's a conversation that it just is what it is. Like, there's nothing I can do to prevent it. But to somebody who doesn't understand, it's like, 
I need to send you to the place with the sticky socks. And I don't know why you're thinking like that. And I'm just like, because it's real, you know? And I think that um, a lot of times, again, when people just don't understand the level of sadness that you feel, that, like, sad doesn't even... I don't even know if there's a word to describe, like, the immense sadness and depression and just disdain that you feel in light of losing somebody who means so much to you but like there's no words for it and it's like when people don't get it it just it is an isolating feeling that does make you feel crazy yeah how did you um so last night when you went through that what was the next action that you took to get yourself kind of back into an oh like i'm okay like i'm okay what did you do thank you for asking that what did i do um, I well, like I said, I was upstairs on my roof. I had just finished my workout, and I just started talking to my mom. Mm, yeah. And like, she would say things that would make me laugh because I a hundred percent believe that I can still talk to her and do. But I was kind of like cheating the rest of my workout, and I could literally hear her like, "Okay, girl, but like, you really need to finish this workout, like." <laughs> You came up here and you got to do what you got to do. And so I busted out the rest of my workout through tears and I talked to my mom and I told her like, I, you know, I said out loud, like these things that I feel like I can't say to most people because they are going to be concerned. And that's a great thing, but concerned to the point of like me feeling like I can't speak my mind, if that makes any sense. And so, yeah, I just, I talked to my mom, I busted out my pushups and I'm not religious, but my mom is. And there's been this book that the book of Job from the Bible that has been being like literally passed around in my face, literally for the past couple days. And so I could hear my mom say like, I just need you to like read the first chapter and then like just at least do the first chapter tonight. Nay. And so I was like, okay. And I did. And that did make me feel here's the word better. Like better is just a terrible word, but I guess quote unquote better. And, um, yeah, I talked to my brother on the phone. He was just getting off work. And so, like, I guess, like, those sort of things. But it's hard for me sometimes because when I'm sad, the only person I want to talk to is my mom. (laughs) So, you know, this is a long-winded answer. I'm sorry, but I'm still trying to kind of figure out ways to get out of that space. Sleep is always the answer for me because I'm just like, if I just go to bed, I'll feel better tomorrow. Right. (laughs) And I don't I necessarily I mean like mentally I feel better but my body still feels you know the heaviness so I don't know I'm still trying to figure out how to holistically kind of get out of that space yeah I totally appreciate that thanks yeah of course of course of course so let's talk a little bit about your mission with 1111 foundation so transforming I'm sorry use pain into passion and their passion into profits let's talk about that what does that mean yeah, so sitting down with like the board of the nonprofit, I'm like, you know, we can't just keep throwing into these kids and parents' faces like you need to do this, you need to do that, like emotionally and mentally, but you also have to do. You have to do things. Like you have to put things into action and whatever you were doing before your loved one passed away, you should still be doing, you know? That addiction really takes a hold of people when like the addiction knows that you're going through something. And people don't realize that when they stop doing things, especially kids, when they stop playing the sports they love or stop drawing or singing, that's when the addictions, they start to creep in even more. 
So the nonprofit, from me coming from an AAU background and playing basketball my whole life, I just was like, I want these kids to be able to get the mental side and emotional side and also get the hands-on side where they're learning new things or they're continuing on with what they've been doing. Because these kids don't, after they lose that main person in their life, they do not have someone to be on them to continue to do it. And then, and then, then they just start becoming statistics. And I just don't feel like that's fair. So with 1111 having the pain into passion, it's just like you can turn your pain into something that allows you to push even harder and you have more of a reason to do it now. So let's just do it and let's add all the aspects in exercising, healthy eating, deciding on what type of curriculum needs to go into their psyche. Because not everyone has Mm -hmm. to be doing the same exact thing, but people swear that people do. But we are all like individual human beings and the children are our future. So focusing on them is the key. But people don't think that that matters because they have so much going on in their own lives. And I'm just like, you know, I rather focus on the youth because I'm not going to be here forever. They're going to be here way longer than me and they'll be able to teach the younger generation who is coming. So just helping these kids know like, yeah, we all are experiencing the same thing you are, but you are even in a better situation because you have the opportunity to get out of that crazy fog slowly but surely with a community around you while still doing the thing that you love so that's really that's really what that is and how did you transform your pain into passion and then into profit wow you're the first person to ever ask me that that's wild so wow (laughs) I feel like it's such an on-the-nose question (laughs) (laughs) that's so funny so honestly I've always been a people person, but I really was like a really jolly person before my mom passed. So I was always friends with everybody. It didn't even matter. It didn't matter what color you were, what it didn't matter. I was talking to you and we were going to be friends. And um, and <laughs> someone was like, you should do public speaking. And I was like, I'm not doing no public speaking. Like I'm a basketball player. Like I'm going to WNBA. And then when my mom passed, I didn't touch a basketball. <laughs> I still haven't touched a basketball since my mom passed, which is really crazy. Really? Yeah. And I'm 31 right now. And she passed when I was 22. And it's because, like, she's the reason that I even went D2. She's the reason I went to one of the best private schools for basketball. Like, the reason that basketball was so big in my life. And then when she passed Uh away, I'm like, how can I continue to do all this with her not here? Like, this is just very like the connection is lost so yeah I I just I don't know I was just like after she passed I'm like I do not want anyone to feel this shit like this is this is a crazy experience like and I was like you know what I'm gonna start helping these kids who are in situations like me or worse than me because there's a lot of bad situations kids are in all because their parent passed away And I'm honestly going to help them. Like, I'm going to help them get through this. It might take a long time to actually spread out and become nationwide. 
But as long as someone starts it somewhere, it's going to spread like a wildfire. Eventually, yeah. I was like, let me, let me, let me start doing this. Let me start opening my mouth and letting people know there's a tons of people in this world who have been through this stuff, and maybe it's going to help the older generation as well be able to heal more because they can open up their mouth to the younger generation. And that's when I'm like, yeah, because my mom's been a helper, so it kind of just went into me to be a helper. Wow. Yeah, I just been doing it. I just been doing it ever since. So what's your apprehension? Maybe that's a strong word for it. But why haven't you picked up a basketball since losing your mom? I know that it's going to bring back every basketball situation that I had with her. And I don't think I'm going to be able to handle it. Like that right there is Mm going to be so much emotion that I don't even, I honestly don't even know. I literally don't even know how I would feel or what would happen or I cannot see myself right now lacing up, just getting ready to go to a basketball game and playing a whole 505 game. Talking about it, it's like, damn, like my mom will be there this time the third. It's just too many emotions that I just don't have time for right now. Is that why you encourage kids to continue to do the things that they love? Yes, 100% because... I don't feel like just because you lost somebody, you should stop doing what you love to do. I literally love playing basketball. I played since I was nine years old. It's a lot. Basketball, really, I ate, slept, and breathed, like, breathed basketball. So I don't want no one to have to go through that all because of a loss, especially when the loss is inevitable. It's happening, period. So it's like you shouldn't give up what you love just because. You have to learn how to work through it. So instead of me sitting there and playing, 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 I'm like, let me just help these kids understand what I went through and they could do so much better. Like there's, cause I, I feel like I would be more happier or happier if I were to stick to basketball. Cause that was like my safe haven. That was like my outlet. And I don't want, I just don't want people to think, oh, I can't do this no more. Cause a lot of people give up what they love after they lose something and they're like, well, why don't I do this no more? Oh, well, such and such passed away. And you know what I mean? So I just feel like it's yeah, better to it learn off of what people do yeah. and their mistakes, you know? Yeah. I think that's awesome that you're encouraging people to still, you know, fulfill their passions and live out their dreams, even though you might have been cheated of that for a myriad of reasons. But Tahira, I want to thank you so much for coming and talking to me today. This has been such an amazing conversation with so many different components, you know, with between the foundation and your adoption and reckoning with that and reconnecting with your mom and just so many different things. I really appreciate you touching so many different topics for us today. Before I let you go there, is there anything that you would like to add to the conversation? Honestly, I just really want people to know, like, it's okay to love yourself. It's totally okay to let go of what you're used to and to restart your livelihood because you literally only have you in the end. And it's weird to say that, but when you have to only have yourself, you're like, damn, like I wish I loved myself more so I would be more comfortable with being alone by myself. So I just want people to understand it's totally okay to be alone, especially when you're young. You don't have to have all these friends. You don't have to do all this stuff with everyone because they're doing it. You do what you want to do, and that's that. Whatever makes you feel good, that's what needs to be done. But yes, girl, thank you so much for having this refreshing conversation. 
Thank you. I appreciate it. No, thank you. I appreciate you so much. Before I let you go too, I just I have to make sure that you drop your socials and all that great stuff. Where can people find out more about the 1111 Foundation? Yeah, guys, definitely check me out on, well, check us out on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube at E-L-E-V-A-N, the number 11, and then the word foundation. So 1111 Foundation. And yeah, you will find me there talking away. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Tahira, thank you so much for joining us on the best show in the world. It's called Damn Mom, Really? And I want to thank you guys so much for listening as well. I know you guys took some amazing gems from this as I did myself. Make sure that you check out the 1111 Foundation. I will see y'all in 10 days. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel this sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas, really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them, just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well. Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. 
It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you're ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.